Welcome to Notes from the Field, brought to you by Noeo Science. And so, yeah, Luke, you were starting to tell this story about your one really successful or most exciting successful- I guess we're jumping right fall in. Fall turkey hunt. We're jumping right in. Yeah. I'll introduce you after we get going. Okay, We'll yeah. just get people hooked right um, away. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll start over with that, that story. Uh, this was- Somewhat earlier in my turkey hunting career, and I don't, I don't, you know, I, yeah, um, I had been watching, I had been working on this construction site, and across the the draw, across the drainage, there was this farm field that was a series of hills, kind of cascading down at the foot of a mountain. So there's a big forested mountain, small forested mountain, but and uh, these this turkey flock every day. At a certain time, they'd come out in the morning. They'd be out there, you know, first thing about eight o'clock in the morning. And this is in the fall. Right? So you're multitasking yeah. between building a house and watching these you know, turkeys. It's not it's not that hard to just peek over there. But I did ha- <laughs> I did have my binoculars on site. Yeah. Um. And I'd, yeah. And then around three o'clock in the afternoon, they would come out. So I planned one Friday. This was the Friday before Thanksgiving. Uh. To finish work a little early at about two o'clock. So I'd have time to sneak across this field through a drainage ditch. I had made friends with the farmer who had been out checking on his land and asked permission to go across his land. And then the forested land was state land. So I had the ability to get onto both. So I gotcha. snuck up through the ditch, got to the edge of the woods, crawled up through the woods to a, to a spot that was kind of, I thought the most likely or at least the easiest to get to without being seen. Put out a decoy, snuck back into the woods, set up against the back of a tree. I had a couple small fir trees around me, um, and I think I was leaning against a very small tree that was probably just a few inches around. Um, so, and completely camoed up. And I'm sitting here intently watching my decoy out in the field, and I hear a little scratch behind me, and I don't move. Just hold perfectly still, sort of look down at the ground, and about. Four, three to four feet in front of my face, I see a turkey head come around and comes right into my space, is looking at me, trying to figure out what kind of bush I am. <laughs> and I just hold perfectly still, like, don't move an eyelash. And her focus quickly shifts to look back down at the decoy, and then I see coming into my peripheral vision about two dozen other turkeys just wow. coming through the woods like a... a flock of predators really and they're coming out to look for grasshoppers and they're i find out later they're coming out to attack and beat off this perceived turkey out in the field that's on their turf is this decoy a a male no it's a female it's just a female hen yeah and i think that's kind of what they're um their turkeys are somewhat matriarchal i think you know they the the uh Females kind of determine where the flock is going to go. It does. It does vary throughout the season. They yeah. they break off into into different groups, especially during the mating season, um, male and female. But generally, the males will kind of just follow the females around. And that even even during mating season, even though they're split off, yeah, the males are still very much. Well, it, it does depend. It varies. Um, so keep going here. That. The two dozen are coming up behind. They're, they're coming out. This one uh, actually ends up stepping on my foot as it. <laughs> Which wow. is wow, yeah, oh, yeah, right on, on my shin and heads on down, and then I am just, you know, heart is beating, coolest thing I've ever 
experienced in a hunting situation like that at that at that point. Maybe. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, definitely stuck out to me, and I just pull the trigger and shoot two turkeys. Wow. Just pick pick one, then they start running away. I pick another one and kind of follow it, and I took down two turkeys and. You've got a twenty-two, or, or are you hunting with a shotgun? Twelve gauge shotgun. Twelve gauge. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. Uh, so, I mean, gosh, I'm just, I'm just green with envy over here, imagining the experience of seeing having one step on your leg and still keep going and not recognize yeah. you. That's just that. That's yep. impossible to beat. The closest I've ever been to a turkey. Yeah. Alive. Uh, a wild turkey. Wow. So we're talking turkey today uh, for with notes from the field, and I have a special guest with me. I'm Will Boyd, your host. Dr. Gordon Wilson is is uh, gallivanting around in creation, and so I was really thankful to have my my friend Luke Ryan join us to talk about turkeys. It's it's the spring turkey season, and uh, you know this this is one of our creature features. And it's a neat opportunity. Um, you know, we don't typically talk much about hunting or fishing on the show, probably mostly because uh, Gordon and I don't do a ton of hunting uh, or fishing. I do a little bit here or there. I'm sure he has in the past too. But what an opportunity to to connect the dots here. I think it's a special relationship with creation that hunters have. Um, and it's something uh, all the hunters I've gotten to know moderately well there, there's a deep appreciation and understanding and I would say intense passion for especially certain aspects of creation. And I think that really came through in, in the story you shared uh, with us, Luke. So thanks for coming on. Absolutely. It's uh, my honor to be here. I'm really excited. I'm actually a huge, a huge fan of the show. I kind of feel like if I was a Trekkie fan and it turned out that <laughs> Leonard Nimoy lived right next door and he asked me to come on and and maybe be an alien in the background <laughs> or something. Well, then here I am. That is flattering. I'm yeah. a big Leonard Nimoy fan myself. <laughs> well, <laughs> and so um, you know, turkeys, uh, turkeys really—they're part of our American culture. I mean, just to just to be really kind of plain about it, uh, turkeys are a unique creature, um, and there are only two species of turkeys, wild uh, turkeys in the world. So that's yeah. kind of a that's kind of a rare. It it's is a yeah. rare group. I think there's some extinct species that they've. Discovered, yeah. but I'm always curious about that because um, I think before DNA tests, there maybe were they thought there were more species of turkeys. You just the the different subspecies, or, yeah. Um, that's all, and, that, and that's that's something I actually have some questions for. Maybe you and and uh, well, Doctor Wilson can, 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 them can talk about that later. Yeah, I don't know a ton about extinct species, but I do well, know and, a little and, bit about the two that are extant. Well, I'm yeah, I'm not, I'm not. Is curious about the extinct species, but just just talking about, um, you know, an example is like Canadian geese. For a long time, I think they thought there were twenty nine different subspecies of Canadian geese. Right, and to me, that it seems you know, and they would do that all by features, and and I can't tell one Canadian goose from another. Right, um, you know, bigger or smaller. Right, I've been able to tell one subspecies. Okay, really, and that's yeah. only because it's the well, small, dusky one that sure, inhabits the Aleutian sure. Islands. In oh Alaska. wow, yeah, yeah. And so, um, to me, it seemed like I, I'm just always a little bit skeptical of these different sciences that come along. And you know, gen- genetics is a very well defined science, and I think they've got. Canadian geese down to like four subspecies, okay. for instance. I know we're already off topic. No, this is, but, I, I was hoping we would do some yeah, of these rabbit the, shows. The, the, there are, and I can't remember if it's four, maybe it's yeah. 12 or something, but there are four subspecies of the North American wild turkey. Yes. Um, and I'm, and basically people, will, well, of the wild turkey. And then the wild turkey is the same as the domestic turkey. And then there's about 
four or five domesticated turkeys, the bronze back, and then there's the, you know, butterball turkeys. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't remember. Right. So, yeah. so Meliagris or Meliagris uh, Gaia Pavo, and I'm yeah. pronouncing it with the with the double L being the AA there. Okay. Uh, you can pronounce it Gallo Pavo if you like to pronounce it Quesadilla. Yeah. That's fine. I go with the ya sound. Um, and so this creature, one of two extant turkeys, um, uh, the other one being the oscillated turkey of the Yucatan Peninsula. Which... Uh, that's an exotic bird. I would love to see that creature in the wild. But you see pictures of that exotic bird. They're wild looking. Yeah. And then you start to realize how exotic the ones we have here are. Amen. They're, like you, you look, you're like, okay, I'm used to seeing it, sort of. But that's that's one I, I would encourage people to, if they ever get a chance to take a closer look at a turkey. I mean, even just a chicken, like you get up closer to a, ch- a lot of chickens and you think, wow, this is just an incredible, crazy creature, this combination of kind of beauty and sort of this raw, like, hawkish brutality yeah. that's there, um, just in their skin texture and their beak and the size of their eyes hmm. is, in, is just and, and, and so intimidating. And especially when you're only a couple feet away and you're staring right in the eyeballs. Right. Or, yeah. or you know, the, the dramatic experience, I think, any turkey hunter gets to experience uh, undergo is having shot one and you run up to it right away because you want to put your knee down on its chest to push the air out because they'll flop you know and flop and flop for a long ways and down into some bushes and you'll have to look for it for hours or yeah. it might get away you know and die somewhere hidden um and you're looking at it in the eye wow while it's expiring and it's a, it's a dramatic and dramatic experience absolutely um yeah. Which I think brings a lot of other questions to the table about just the ethics of hunting, taking something's life. And I think as Christians, we really, you know, we know that we've been given dominion over these animals. You've talked about that before. We um, And we are allowed to take them for food and right. take their life. And I think it's, a, um, especially for men, I think it's a, re- a really, can be a really important rite of passage to, if you are going to be someone who participates in that by buying chicken and beef at the grocery store, like I do all every week, um, to occasionally have that visceral experience of taking an animal's life yourself before you eat it. And that can be going out to the farm to chop off a chicken's head. I think that's probably one of the most brutal, you know, to just go to a, a tame, domesticated animal that trusts you and lets you hold it in its arm as you take it over the chopping block and then, or just wring its neck or... Yeah. Um, so that's that's probably one of the most intense and then it's a a, the the hunting experience is very different there is some more distance there right the firearm creates that especially yeah um but turkeys are still pretty close you got to get them into 30 40 yards and they're smart animals no i i I like what you're i like where where you're going here it's a it's a experience i would say more and more of us um don't have but we need uh i think that direct connection to uh, our food supply, not just the garden, but the actual taking of an animal's life. Um, at this at this stage, anyway, of human history, yeah. where we're at, I, if, you know, I think I think it's interesting to me too to have something that I, you know, personally, I actually do not enjoy the killing part. Yeah, I, I know there's I know very you know strong, solid Christian guys who who do do say that they enjoy they enjoy the the taking of it and yeah. I, and I would be curious to actually explore that a little bit more um 
I, I personally don't, but I enjoy everything up to it and after it. And, yeah. I, and I also feel like my lack of enjoyment for it is not, um, it's sort of like the part of a really long run that I might not enjoy, hmm. you know? So it is, it's just something hard that, that I feel like I need, I need to do. Right. Um, and no, that's a good analogy. And it's, I, and I, and I really am doing all of this mostly for my own enjoyment and self betterment. It would be a lot cheaper and easier to just go to the grocery store or raise some turkeys yeah. myself. That you, if you calculate dollars and energy spent, um, but there is something about connecting to that wildness, right? And it is also really interesting to me connecting to something that's wild that can be domesticated, um, which is different from, I think, is different from an elk or a deer. I think there are certain. It, it seems like there are certain kinds of animals which we are not, and it, it, this could be debated. But which we are not meant to tame. They're meant to be kind of tamed by like the natural progression of uh, the world being redeemed. Hmm. Right. So like, I think, and that, so know, that and that could, that could come from like a faulty, faulty assumptions. Um, looking at just how diseased and withered elk get when mm. they're, when they're captivated and how much it affects the wild population with these different diseases that come out of these captive cervid farms. Yeah. As opposed to oxen, which thrive and right. geese right. thrive and turkeys thrive. And, you know, I assume you know, quail, you know, quail and pheasants do fine, you know. Um, no, that's an interesting yeah. question. Are, are, in a sense, are all wild animals meant to be eventually domesticated in a, in a redemptive world? Oh. Because we know that certain ones were created that way. Right. The, 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 the domesticated kinds um, that were easy to tame and easy. And, and as you pointed out, they, they yeah. thrive. They and, thrive in that condition. And we'll be able to go and lay down with the lions. But will is that something that we will do where we're, we will have dominated? and or, or is that something that just will happen as through means that we don't understand? Yeah. Man, God magic. Yeah. No, um, that's an interesting so, question. Have yeah. you watched? Uh, there's an interesting documentary uh, with Joe Hutto. Uh-uh. Uh, my life as a turkey. Oh, I have watched you, that. Okay. Yes. And of course, yes. Uh, you know, I was when you were describing the process of engaging with the the wild animal, and I think you're right. There's a there's kind of this before before you shoot, you're watching, you're observing, you're in, in effect doing descriptive natural history work. Um, and after you're done, you can do some type of biological anatomy observation work. But that right. moment of killing uh, the animal is distinctly different. Um, yeah. And I would I would say, I think that I don't, I enjoy the shooting, but I, I definitely don't enjoy watching an animal suffer. Right. And trying to minimize that suffering, as you were describing earlier, rushing over right away, getting the air out of that out of that larynx and hopefully getting that animal um yeah to there's not a there's a big long. a big big part of me that would rather just let it walk away yeah um but even more than that <clears throat> there's a part of me that would want to go you know go be friends with that animal or connect with it and just like see what it sees or just get closer to it right. just get closer to it and just continue to observe it and that's kind of impossible they they are wired to get as far away from me as possible as soon as as soon as they know i'm there which is why you're very secretive but right like you like i you, you want to go run with them and they're not gonna let you do that right um yeah not in a friendly way and so that's that's part like that's part of you we break that threshold we force that with the pull of a trigger yeah and they 
they go down and you can go get closer and then do the well, do, do the dissection. T- and when you're telling the hunting story, most yeah. of the story is about everything except the shooting part. Right. Right. It's all the buildup. Um, and I remember, so I, I, I was fortunate enough, Luke took uh, me and my son Shepard out uh, hunting a year ago, almost yeah. to the day, and uh, coming up here on the end of turkey season. And uh, we hiked through the woods up I think, I think that was uh, two years ago. Okay. Yeah. Time been, flies yeah, now. it does. Yeah. So we had headlamps on. We were hiking uphill at four o'clock in the morning. Through moose-infested <laughs> cedar woods. Yeah. And and the whole thing was was remarkable. And and he, he set me up. We had a decoy. He was making calls. I was hiding in the brush with Shepard. And I just remember watching this big tom uh, come around the bend. We we heard them. We were hoping they would come. And this one Tom came and, you know, uh, I was way too excited and eager and shot way too early before he was close enough. But just that I can still see that moment now of him rounding the bend, me shooting him. Basically, in my mind, I, I kind of visualize him laughing at me and then slowly getting up off the grounds, flapping his massive wings and just taking off. And I think a shell jammed at the same time, which is- Yeah, just, my second shot didn't get just, off. Just to expect a shell to jam in that sort of situation. <laughs> and uh, that, I, I was around the bush and didn't see any of it. I heard all of it. And it's still emblazoned in my mind because of the mist that was coming from the creek that was roaring past and how they, and, and for me, the, the biggest thrill is listening to those gobbles and it's, you know, we, the gobble is a, a funny word and that it's sort of onomatopoeic, but just the like, and it's, and that is just this exotic sound that yeah. has maybe been a little bit familiarized because of the, the domestication and that's, and that's fine. But when you hear that sound off by itself and it sounds different coming from a wild turkey and just echoing back through the valleys, that like yeah. that, that gives me personally a thrill. And I think, um, I think it should give everybody absolutely. And and if if I were ever to go blind, I still say that I would be <laughs> I would be let out in the woods. To, and a, a big part of the thrill too is that you're talking to them. You're you're making little little sounds, and that sets them off. And I would encourage anyone from you know starting before tax season, you can go out in April, all the way into June, to go out in the woods and look for turkey footprints, look for turkey poop. And I think turkeys are in. 49 states? Everyone except Alaska. Yeah, which I, there's some making their way up through British Columbia okay. right now. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, go look for what looks like goose poop along the roads, kind of. It's a little bit different. You can look it up online. And then it really helps to go out early in the morning uh, before the sun is rising. And you can go out and take a stick and thwack it against a tree or uh, make a sound like you're Bigfoot and go and just holler off or do a big whistle. Or yeah, I, be- can... I believe I did a great horned owl call. You did, and yeah. it responded. Yep, right almost away, almost immediately. Yeah, and that's just and that's called shock gobbling. They'll hear a sound, and that's that's one of my favorite things is to go out and shock gobble them with different sounds. You can take a you can take a a whistle with you and and that would send them off. Throw a rock against a stop sign, and and they'll they'll sound off. Um, and and that's especially in the spring because it's mating it's season. It's mating season, yeah. yeah. It's a lot harder to get them. They, they will, you'll hear them uh, all throughout the year gobble to like really shocking sounds like thunder, something like that. They'll, <laughs> they'll, respo- they'll respond to thunder and the, like you and then the gobble. I, I can't do it. Wow. A, a good vocalization. That's fabulous. Um, 
they're these are big creatures. I mean, we're talking four to five foot wingspan. Yes, thirty plus pounds, uh, the maximum for wild yep. turkeys. And the only the only other North American bird larger in weight uh, for max size is the tundra swan. Wow! And so that's a big animal that can still. A lot of people don't realize they do fly and they do roost in trees. And they're incredible to watch fly. Fly. You can sneak in and they'll fly down over your head, and it just looks like. Just the shape of their wings is kind of unfamiliar and their long necks sticking out and large bodies and talons. And they've got these spurs that you can even see hanging off while they're flying over, flying over your head. You're like, is this a giant bat? What is this thing? (laughs) Um, (laughs) So males, so this time of year, they're a little bit more segregated by sex. The males are, the males are actively uh, trying to attract females. By, by vocalizing and right. uh, in the word of in, in the words of of ornithologists uh, they're part of a this order of of galliformes um, which are game birds chicken like birds and they set up leks um, but they don't all show up in the uh, traditional traditionally leks are thought of as all the males can see each other and they're really close by yeah. but in the case of turkeys they're they're separated and really tend to not be able to see each other I think that's true except for really young the juvenile jakes who are still Trying actively trying to mate, okay, not very successfully because they'll get beaten off by the larger birds, and I think they'll stick. I've I called in once what I now know is a lek of jakes. I think it was seven jakes came in. Wow. To a call came roaring up a hill where it was close to where I took you actually. And okay, they, they just came up across a, a a logging road, pop 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 pop, all like these heads just popping up and scattered through the rocks where we were sitting, and we shot one. Yeah, uh, neat. Yeah. Um, that kind of brings me to, a, and this might be a bit of a diversion, but you know, speaking of calling to turkeys and uh, getting that call and response, just kind of the something I've grappled with, and I think mostly comes to come to terms with, is the idea of um, you like interacting with an animal at a deceptive level, and obviously you are sneaking up on it. You're lying in wait an ambush to kill something like there's mm-hmm. no there's no pretense about what's going on here right but then you start using something like a mating call to you know it's like okay you you are using really you, pulling yeah. out the tricks here yeah you and and you are you are using something that god created for glory for good to kind of fool them mm-hmm. into into coming in and taking them now if it's like i i really do think that you know, hunting is for the purpose of conservation. And that's something I think you guys could talk about too, is how, how many species have been preserved because of hunting. Absolutely. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have elephants and rhinoceroses anymore. Right. If it weren't for rich Americans spending a lot of money to keep them alive yep, so that they could go hunt the real old ornery ones who are a threat to the elephant population, you know, like the, the bull rhinoceroses who will kill younger bulls. Right basically for sport and they say well this one you know the management over there says it has to go let's have a guy from texas pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars to come kill that plus he'll yeah he'll buy that'll he'll, pay for all the park employees yeah exactly and and most of their budget for the year yeah no and, exactly and, and, and they and, do they do three of those and plus those guys come and they rent a big giant place and probably own a car over there you know whatever yeah they come over and and Every, we see the same thing here stateside, you know, uh, duck duck stamps and yep. the paying for those hunting licenses and all the associated gear. Yeah. A lot of those funds go to uh, the protecting uh, places where these animals breed. And Tur- turkeys were originally native to thirty some states, yeah, and then were mostly 
uh, expatriated down to 10 states or so. I don't think they were on the verge of extinction at all, but... um, Yeah, mostly native to east of the Mississippi, and then there was a southwest population in Mexico. And then, you know, around Teddy Roosevelt time, or a little... I can't remember when it was, but some people said, we ought to have more turkeys again. Let's... And so they... Started putting these programs in, catching turkeys and transferring them. Like they would catch wild ones because only wild ones can survive and bring them over to Idaho, for instance. And they would say, hey, Idaho Fish and Game, how about you charge a bunch in in 10 years, there'll be enough turkeys to hunt. And then you can start charging a bunch for these tags and pay for our program. And that's why like, it costs more to hunt a turkey in Idaho than it costs to hunt a bear. It's like 10 bucks to go hunt a bear and 20 bucks to go get a turkey, which... You're, wow. you're contributing towards that. And then it also, you just have a certain level of interest. And there's people who contribute a lot more. They're members of the National Wild Turkey Foundation and donate lots and lots of money because they're passionate about seeing these wild critters out there and yep. watching them do their thing. Yeah. So east of the Mississippi was a, was a certain subspecies southwest, a certain subspecies yep. Mexico. And I think there's one more maybe in kind of the Great Plains states. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as you were mentioning earlier, that idea of subspecies is really mushy. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really kind of arbitrarily determined. Um, genetic sequencing is helpful. That's a tool. It's not perfectly analytical or quantifiable, but it's it appears to be a little bit more so, uh, more so than some other characteristics. But then, you know, you have to take morphology as well. What does this creature look like? How does it right. act? Does it have a little bit of variation in how it vocalizes or reproduces? And so, yeah, I agree. Subspecies is something I think that will always kind of uh, ebb and flow w- regarding how we how we think of these creatures and how we conserve them. Right. And I, I just wonder if maybe there needs to be, and this is just speaking from the sidelines, if there needs to be somewhat of a redefinition because for me, looking between the different subspecies of turkeys or geese, it seems like there's an awful lot more difference between uh, humans that we know are just basically different tribes, different families that act different ways, uh, you know, look a lot like, you know, you and I probably look a lot different from each other, even though we're If both, they found my uh, skull and your skull they a might, thousand years from now- They'd probably be about the same. Would we be different- yeah. <laughs> Different <laughs> subspecies. Different hominids. <laughs> could be. Could right. Be. Very well could uh, yeah, be. Yeah. No, um, that's, I, no, you're getting at, absolutely. I think there's yeah, some or arbi- even, arbitrariness. Or even, you know, certain brothers who just have, like, you know, my two sons or my son and my daughter- yeah. Have very different head shapes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know? that that is super interesting. And so I think that some of that, some of those just maybe not, it's not f- false. Like we are seeing differences in things and that's just, but God created a lot of things that are the same that also just have a beautiful variety. Yeah. Like, Which is like why- d- different colored feathers, you know, yeah. just, just for enjoyment uh, or, or to serve different purposes, depending on, you know, cause like we know that. We can, that animals and us can adapt to environments to, you know, right. you get, you grow more feathers if you live in the North and, right. and, well, and, let's and, your, get, and your, and your kids, your kids get that, you know, too. I, I think, you know, let's get to that. Let's get to some of the features of the wild turkey. So these creatures, when the toms are, were gobbling. And so the jakes are typically less than a year old or so. And the toms yeah. are older males. Yeah. I think they're just over it. I think they're usually uh yeah, a year old. Yeah. Okay. So these turkeys like, like vultures. 
yeah. have a lot of bare skin, which is kind of unusual for most birds. Yes. But turkeys have a fair bit of a bare skin on their face and neck and head, and and it turns really bright colors yes. when they get excited or agitated. Let's can, maybe, can even, we talk yeah. a little bit about the head anatomy yeah. and all these weird floppy appendages? Yeah, and even when they're not excited, they're they're different colors. So. And it'll depend, like that'll depend sometimes on the subspecies or on the age of the turkey. And the anatomy, basically, they have, you know, a pretty sizable beak. They'll eat almost anything. They'll eat crawdads whole. They'll pull them out of, you know. uh, They're kind of a classic omnivore. Any kind of of bug, they'll eat mice if they can catch them. Wow. Yeah. And they Um, love seeds of of various kinds. And then you'll usually find their, their crop or craw, I think, uh, full, that's one of the things to do as a turkey hunter. Got to check out the crop. Yep. And get it out right away because it'll, it'll ruin the breast meat according to folklore. Oh, interesting. I I think that may or may not be correct. I don't know, but you might as well, they're big birds. You might as well get them cooled down as quick as possible. So. And part of the biology to see what they've been eating. Check out what they've been eating. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to find a bird that is way up kind of in the mountains a mile or two from the farm fields, but then see some wheat seeds in there. So, you know, he traveled over the last oh, couple, yeah. like last day or so. Um, that's yeah. interesting. And insects that you might not ever see, you know, like that's, it's an opportunity to find stuff that they're digging under rocks or down into little bushes and stuff where you might not, might not be getting with a magnifying glass. Um, or they might've just looked a little different because they're hydrated and yeah, starting to get expanded and prepared for digestion, but yeah. Yeah. They're assisting you with your biology yeah. investigation. And I remember, I remember cutting open the crop of a, a rough grouse I shot a couple of years ago yeah. and it was just, it was just packed with, uh, with snowberries. Wow. And that's all that was in there. Yeah. Just stuffed full. Yep. It, it, it picked, it had a favorite and it yeah. was going, that's amazing. Yeah. That was pretty neat. So, so there's this flap of skin that comes down over the beak. Yeah, called the snood. Called the snood. Quite quite disturbing Uh, to a lot of people. Dr. Seuss must have been involved here. Yes, I think so. (laughs) What is this snood? Or or Dr. Seuss's entire career was inspired by a turkey. (laughs) That sounds more like it. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that from what I remember, the snood is largely just a beautification device. I think it, it just shows the age and of the turkey, and it's some I think some of it just varies based on luck of the draw with genetics. And um, so females seem to prefer seem to be attracted to it. Yeah, the, the larger the snood, the yep. more yeah, yep. more, it, the farther it, it dangles past the beak. Yep, and it, it definitely changes colors. So a turkey's head will go from white to red usually when it's excited, which is why when you have a turkey like a male turkey decoy, you'll often have its head. You'll want to have it white because it kind of seems like it's maybe a little more submissive, and the other turkeys think they're going to come and beat up, oh, on, beat up on this turkey yeah. who uh, can't get, can't seem to get excited about anything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this guy's going to be a pushover. Yeah. yeah. So we have the snood. We have there's also a waddle, the which waddles. many creatures have waddles. Yep. Even some pigs and lots of other birds have waddles. And this is the kind of the droopy flap I'll, here. I'll probably have a waddle someday <laughs> here. <laughs> Good man. Give me a decade or two. <laughs> so there's a waddle there. There's a snood. There's this There's this beard, which yes. is actually some feathers that are in kind of the breast region. Yep. And some, and is it, I think it's a feather. I think a beard is an feather, a single okay. feather. And sometimes, and it's uh, usually specific to toms, I think. About 2% of hens will occasionally have a beard, and it's usually very short and small. Okay. Some toms will have, like, I've heard up to three beards. Um, 
I think I've I think I've shot a double bearded tom, and usually wow. the, usually the second beard is kind of smaller. But sometimes you'll, I've seen pictures of just and it's the, a manly that's a manly yeah, tom there and the beard and the beard yeah well so. and people are the, looking for the long beard tom and it's where it has like a big ten inch feather and it's this it looks like a weird like a pig's tail or something wow. it's just it's like a horse it's uh, kind of bristly cor- yeah, bristly and coarse yeah um it uh wears off really easily if they're rubbing up against stuff or you know dragging it on the ground or yeah but you can after you shoot the bird you can pluck it out okay it's like a feather and you often do it's kind of one of the prizes you'll take to show people is pluck out that feather and neat show show exactly how big it was yeah but, and and so and then there's this these kind of warty protuberances on the top and back of the head and the neck i i was reading somewhere they're, they're called what are, the, what are those they're called, called caruncles oh yeah caruncles or car- caruncles yeah, yeah. Know, yeah and just kind of uh they just give this creature kind of a rugged appearance i mean they are uh they're remarkably remarkably built uh bird yeah i definitely there's very little need for taking binoculars on a turkey hunt it's done by uh sound mostly and then you can usually you can usually see i think they're a little bit helpful um to be able to kind of spot the tail feathers poking up over stuff but i I always bring my binoculars just can't help it because i want to i want to be looking at these things and there's a good chance they'll be kind of sitting over on one side of the draw for a while before you convince them to come over and i just want to look at them um yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm tempted to bring a, a larger spotting scope a lot of the time, and that would those the glass can be disadvantageous because their eyesight is so good. They're going to see that reflection. You got to you got to be careful about your eyes. Like so, when you were you, sitting, you want to you keep your eyes shaded so they don't see a reflection off your eyes. Wow! So when from, you were sitting two feet away, you did you have a did I, you have like a, a ball, mesh mesh over thing your face over, over my face paint. Everything's camoed. Yeah. Ball camo ball cap pulled down over my eyes. And even so, through mesh, I had one time had a turkey come around a corner and I was waiting for a friend to to shoot it and a bush was in his way. And the turkey stood there for about three seconds and was looking at me as I'm sitting up the other side and I was just looking straight at it. And it looked at me and I could t- I and I made the mistake of making eye contact with it. Oh, even through wow. even through the mesh and it took off it like i could see this moment of recognition of yeah that's a living creature that's a creature that does not look friendly yeah um super intelligent animal well yeah i'm I'm curious about uh intelligence i've versus intelligence versus instinct and yeah uh they are definitely paranoid and are (laughs) well are well attuned to potential dangers okay um and so i think they'll that's an interesting they'll, yeah, uh, distinction there. they'll they'll run they'll basically run away from about anything um but they also have this thing they do called gobbling and you know they strut and uh which is very much to their disadvantage if you're you know i've i've spent a fair amount of time calling birds and i have called in a number of coyotes which is, that's oh, a that's a cool yeah. side effect to see a coyote coming in sniffing for you and then he catches your wind and takes off. But that's the closest I've ever been to a coyote. It's probably about five yards from him coming around the corner. Wow! And you know smells me instantly and poof, takes off. But um, but I've had friends shoot coyotes from that situation just where the wind was right and um yeah that's yeah I mean and turkey hunting is just a great time to be out in the woods because the elk are not paranoid the deer are not paranoid they're a lot more willing to just kind of let you let you be there um 
I remember taking a friend out turkey hunting and these elk walk right across, like we see these elk down in a draw and we just sit there for a minute and then they come up and walk. And I think they were semi-aware of our presence and they came and walked across the road 20 yards away from us, a couple of cows and their calves. And you get to see the calves. In the uh, that's awesome. Which is really fun. Have you come upon them when they're still in the roost? Oh, and yeah. how And how yes. high are they typically? Uh, and, and when do they they head up at night and spend the night up there and come down to eat during the day? Or? Yep. They come eat and breed during the day. They'll usually fly down before the sun rises. And then they fly up right when the sun is setting. Mm. Um, so it seems tied to sun sunrise sunset unless your your research no i don't know yeah. otherwise i've heard that um, they'll i've heard they'll hunker down for a long period in a yep. blizzard just yep. find a good but, conifer tree to yeah, tuck themselves under yeah yeah absolutely and i've come upon them later in the morning where the hens were still up in the tree just kind of hanging out and i think kind of keeping an overwatch so during mating season the gobblers are gobbling they're strutting they're spreading their feathers out they're making a weird sound like which is like this weird subsonic drumming spitting sound mm-hmm. that I'm not even sure if they know how they make it, but yeah, like make that vocalization. Must and be the, the snood. Yeah, yeah, it might be. <laughs> and then the hens, the hens come to them. So okay. when you're hunting a turkey, it's a pretty unnatural thing. You're asking, you're you're making a hen sound and trying to convince that male turkey to come to you, which it generally doesn't want to unless you just kind of play hard to get or it's just really lonely which is why <laughs> yeah, yeah i think l- later in the season's a better a better time to to try and get them to come to you because the hens all have their their eggs hatched and they're sitting or not hatched um yeah they've the, already the clutch they've the cl- already made it and, and laid eggs and they've made and they've made successful. their they've made their clutch yeah. so they have their full set of eggs that yeah. they're they're and they're just going out for short amounts of time to feed and sit on those eggs so they'll all hatch at the same time. So those male turkeys are lonely. No, that's and an interesting can... point. And, you know, most of my work's been with songbirds. Songbirds are very different. Uh, a lot of times the, the males and females are very similar in appearance. Right. They'll take turns sitting on the eggs. They'll take turns going out to feed. They'll even maybe take turns building the nest. But these, uh, this is primarily the, the domain of the female to sit on the clutch and 10 to 14 eggs is, is what, I've, what I've read. Have you ever stumbled across a hen on the nest? I have... I have actually, yeah, wow. one time and scared her up. And it was earlier in the season and she may have just been laying and there were a couple eggs in there. Okay. Yeah. Will they dump eggs like waterfowl? Were they ever, Ooh, well, sometimes I've waterfowl seen, will, uh, yeah. female will decide to dump all their eggs in another bird's nest. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm learning that I don't I, know a lot about I've, turkeys um, and I want to know more. I've, uh, most of my turkey research is out in the field and then listening to podcasts about turkeys. And yes, they are out there. Um, and, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, for for anybody interested in further research, there's this uh, this Instagram account called Wild Turkey Doc. And it's uh, his name's Michael something. Um, and he is a wildlife biologist who has actually studied and like specialized a number of species, including red wolves i remember but oh um, interesting yeah but now east coast yeah now focuses on turkeys yeah oh and his instagram account is incredibly informative because he'll do these 10 picture slideshows where he goes through different types of habitat he's like here's this type of habitat at different times of year or here's these what you would you know the feeding grounds nesting ground like and just specific to turkeys extremely interesting to just see landscapes and then um 
And then he'll, you know, take apart a turkey or he'll do this or that or describe different scenarios. But it's always highly informative. This, yeah. This guy, is he's not posting pictures of here's this great thing I did today or here's right. a tidbit. It actually is something like a, a info slideshow. That's that awesome. He, that he puts together like once a month. He puts something out um, that's probably the only redeeming thing on Instagram. And he's, honestly. he's obviously put a lot of time into it. Right. Yeah, yeah. he does. Yeah. He, I, I think he's often doing research that goes along with this stuff. And he said, hey, I can pretty quickly take some of this and put it into something that's accessible and easy to swipe through. And yeah, his little text post that goes along with it is usually, you know, like four paragraphs long. Wow. Kind of goes like slide one, slide two, slide three, and you'll go through it. You'll read it and spend 10 minutes right there just on his one little post. Yeah. Uh, no. So that so that's great, and then um, yeah, I mean, this is good fun, Luke. Yep, I want to do great. more. I want to do I know, more. I know, I know, we're we're cruising. We've done well, we've and done I was going to say more more than this. I want to get out with you this spring. So yeah. we'll see we'll see if we're okay our, if we can collide in the woods here this absolutely this spring to do more. Anything else you want to share about turkey hunting in general? Um, I think I, uh, yeah, I mean, like it's just it's a deep dive. You start getting into it for. Uh, for tips and tricks, you know, uh, there's this podcast called Cutting the Distance, and it's about talking to animals. So you're talking to animals, calling them to come in, and it's really the guy who hosts it now. Um, he ma he runs a company that manufactures elk and turkey calls. And I so it's, read, it's I listened really... to a few. You uh, sent those. My okay, way yeah, that's right. Ago. Yeah, and they, and there was one that was talking. That's probably what kind of kind of comparing spurred... habitat from the east, yes. uh, eastern U.S. versus yep. the Pacific Northwest. Yep. It's and, amazing to me, maybe to say one more thing about the tur turkey, these, often I find myself being, I get easily bored and so I'll get bored with a creature that's a generalist, but that's, that's because I'm, I'm lazy or easily sure. distracted. It's amazing that a creature that can survive on the, uh, the tidewater region in North Carolina yes. and thrive can do the same thing in the forests of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. That shows an incredible amount of of genetic flexibility and, and adaptability. Um, and it maybe it gets at some of these subspecies differences as well. Yeah, and we've talked about Canadian geese too, very similar and also very interesting. To, they're even more interesting to me because their population really suffered for a long time. I think they went down really low, yep. I, you know, a hundred years ago. Um, and that may have been due to hunting pressure, but I'm not sure. It may have also been uh, environmental changes as the earth goes through its cycles. No, that, they, that, uh, the Canada geese are there. They have seen a boom kind of concurrent with what we see with wild turkeys. And they're, yeah. and they both are, uh, they both seem to be creatures that can tolerate man's presence to a degree that a lot of other right. creatures cannot. Now that's one of the main places you'll find turkeys is in people's backyards. Yeah. Um, and, and the geese are on the golf course. Yeah, a different animal, very different, is some the caribou seem to wane, wax and wane um, throughout the, the centuries. And yeah. They, they've got records, like records going way back of that because the Russians or whatever would really be dependent on those and would record how many caribou would come through these massive herds of tens of thousands of animals that dwindle down. And they're, they're dwindling right now. We had some in, and they were, they're across a pretty, not as, in some ways, not as broad of a range uh, as far as type of climate, but as far as mileage from northern, they used to be in northern Idaho and in, yeah. and in Maine. Yeah. They're not anymore. 
No, um, they, but, they, but, they, but they could be back. That's I, an incredible. I, I know they will be back. that's a story. I hope so too. That's yeah. a sad story that we've lost them here. Um, it made me think of, um, of one other thing, just get your, if you have a kid who's interested in wildlife and hunting at all, it's a great time to get a hunting license. In a lot of states, they've fast-tracked it and kept it easy since yeah. COVID. I've had, I'm going to have another son who's going to get his soon here. You can take the class online, which is dirt cheap. Yeah, a lot of places don't even require, and, and this may be bad, but it's they not. Don't... It's not. It's actually not a bad online class. Like the, a lot of online classes are not that great. I f- feel like what I've seen from these online classes is a lot better than what a lot of, what used to be offered. And yeah, it sort of makes the, even in person. I I got really lucky as a kid and took one of the higher rated, like I think here in Idaho and then in Montana where I grew up. They had these park rangers who really cared and really put the time and extra work in and sacrificed a lot to make a good hunter's ed program. Yeah. In a lot of the country, that's not the case. And it's just kind of like, yeah, come in and check. You know, we don't. Check the box. Check the box. Yeah. Um, But I think those people who do care have been able to make an impact on the online level and make these good, these good online courses. And I had to take the archery hunter's ed course like eight years ago and it was all online before, wow. before any of this stuff. Did you have to do a field portion? Not for archery. Yeah, they're not um, requiring a field portion yeah, now for, for anything. For, for, uh, that's probably true in a lot of states. Yeah. Um, so go get that hunting license and then, you know, spend some time practicing, teach firearm safety. That's yep. that's huge. That's hugely important. That's priority number one. And then go up in the woods and start gobbling. Yeah. Make sure to read the regs. That's right. Know where, know, and know, yep. and know, this, and know what, whose land you're on as well. And I, I appreciate that that mentioned earlier, just talking about the hunting ethic, which we yes. could spend many, many future episodes on that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, check out, there's a app you can use for free called Onyx. Yeah. And you have to pay to be able to see people's boundary lines. Um, but you can make marks on there. If, you, if you're looking at a certain area, you get a free trial and you can say, okay, here's a little, here's a, a patch of 160 acres that's close by. That's in between some private land. And that's where you're going to find turkeys, especially. And it's where you find a lot of other animals, too, because it's those places can be safe havens for them, um, which, again, gets into the ethics. You're going into someone's, you know, this this safe haven and disrupting an animals, you know. But, yeah, obviously, I've, I've come to terms with that and the uh, dominion we take. Yeah. Over no, these I, I appreciate those insights. Luke, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks. Likewise. For, thanks for coming on the show. What an honor. I'm. So thankful to be here, and uh, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll have you back, and more more importantly, I hope hope to be up in the woods with you here in the next couple of weeks. That that is the more important. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks a lot. Okay, yeah, we'll keep up you. the good work. See you later. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember, for all your homeschool science needs, go to noeoscience.com. That's N-O-E-O science.com. 